I always tell stylists, if you want to work in the industry, you're you sh- like, and you say you want to move to California, like don't move to Palmdale. Like that's not going to get you there. <laughs> so I think that's the main thing is if you want to be in the mix, go in the mix. Hi, this is Naima Lafon. It's Alfredo Lewis. This is Amanda Liberger. This is Victor Valverde. It's Robert Cromings here. Thank you for listening to the Hair Game Podcast. Hey, listener, I'm Eric Taylor. I'm here with a very special person from the Salon Republic Hair Game Podcast HQ. Introduce yourself, Sean. Hi, everyone. My name is Sean. I'm our social media manager, and I am so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Sean used to be a salon manager at Salon Republic, and we whisked him out of the salon, and we brought him here to HQ to produce amazing videos for Instagram and everything else. And that's exactly what he's been doing. There are some videos that you've dropped already, which are amazing. And it's so funny because the engagement is like 100x on the videos that you produce for everybody versus you know us reposting and doing the same stuff, right? Okay, so let's we can kind of drip we can tease. I got Sean to agree to tease one of his videos. Uh, what's coming up? So we have a video coming up soon. It's so iconic. It's so funny. Everyone can relate. And all I'm going to say is that you should definitely tag your salon bestie. That's all I'm going to say. Oh my God. You're so coy. <laughs> you gave them nothing. Okay. So I've actually seen the video. It's comedy. You know, we got a couple hairdressers in one of our salons, Woodland Hills Salon? Valencia. At Valencia Salon. Um, I think it was two of our ladies, and they went around the salon, and Sean followed them filming, and it was pure freaking comedy. And fine, that's all I'm going to say either. Okay, so that's going to drop on Tuesday right after this uh, episode drops on Monday. So there you go. So thank you very much, Sean. You're doing an awesome job. And guys, go on there. There's a, there's other awesome original content that Sean is producing. He's a wealth of all sorts of, of creative ideas and stuff like that that I would never be able to come up with, by the way. Okay, so in other news, Salon Republic is dropping our first location in Orange County in Huntington Beach. It's right across from the beach. If you want more information, if you work in the area, go to salonrepublic.com. We're pre-leasing studios right now, and they are going. Uh, We started marketing it already, so check it out. Uh, Also, Donovan is creating two new ways for people to consume the Hair Game podcast. Uh, One is, well, we've got a few. I want to mention the the highlights. I I never mention the highlights. Um, We do a highlight episode. You guys might see it. You might not see it on your podcast player. But we do a highlight episode audio for every uh, full episode that we do. And it's like 10 minutes. So if you just want to bite size, go for the go for the highlights. We're gonna start producing video versions of the podcasts so you can see uh, my guests and me interact and have fun. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome. And soon to come, and Donovan may not even want me to drop this, but you guys will be able to come in to the video and actually write uh, questions and comments and stuff as we're recording, which is like a whole different level of amazing. Uh, And then also... uh, transcripts will be available on the website. If you're hard of hearing or you know you like to read, you can go to salonrepublic.com and read those coming up. Not yet, but I will definitely let you know when those are dropping. 
And last but not least, our podcast thrives on the feedback from you guys, the listeners. So please, if you have a moment, leave us a review or a rating on the Apple Podcast app or iTunes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now to my conversation with Angela Stevens. Hey, Angela, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me, Eric. Of I'm course. so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. I feel, I feel like it's been a while since we've seen each other. Yeah, it's been a minute. I mean, the pandemic and, you know, just the way life has changed so much definitely kicked that off. But it's great to be here today. Yeah, yeah it's great to see you. You look amazing. You For the listeners, Angela is pregnant. You're not just pregnant. You're really pregnant. You're like eight months. <laughs> how many weeks? How do we do it these days? Do we still talk about months or is it weeks? So on all the little pregnancy apps, they say weeks, but I try to always just break that down for people because before I was pregnant, I was like, girl, I'm not counting weeks. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm eight months pregnant, but I'm 32 weeks. So Okay. And d do you have a date? Yes. Um, hopefully he'll be born around Christmas. The exact due date is December 28th. So we'll see what happens. Well, you're talking to a Christmas Eve baby right now. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Christmas Eve. My whole life, I've been overshadowed by this guy named Jesus. Yes. And so, yeah. So every year, uh, everyone ignores my birthday, and it basically is just irrelevant. Oh man! <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it, it wasn't that bad. But okay. But y y typically, in when I was a kid, my parents had to kind of protect against that happening because if if they were going to say every year we're going to celebrate Eric your birthday on your actual birthday, none of my friends were going to be in town. Nobody was going to be able to get together, right? So what we did was we celebrated my birthday like two months early. So I kind of, yeah, I had like a surrogate birthday is what I had. Kind of like beginning of November, like right around now when you and I are recording this for listeners, uh, Angela and I are recording this in the beginning of November. So this would be about when my parents would throw my birthday party. And then that kind of felt like a birthday party. I have a funny little story for you. My older brother uh, had one child and everything was cool. And then his wife's like, I want a second child. And he said, no, I don't want a second child. And she just, you know, beat him over the head with this idea of having a second child. And he said, finally, he capitulated and he said, Okay, fine. I'll have a second child as long as one thing happens. And that one thing is that his birthday is nowhere near Christmas, which is where my younger brother, me, had his birthday. And he got screwed every year. And so his wife was like, yeah, okay, whatever, right? Fast forward, his second child's birthday lands on Christmas Day. Oh, my God. He was like, no, we're doing this again. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, it's his fault. Like, he can time it. Like, you can work back. Yeah. You know? And then, so, clearly, he wasn't paying attention. Like, uh, what is it? No. Nine months? Is, it, is pregnancy nine months? I know it's a stupid question. They say it's ten months, technically. Uh, but, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I hope for the sake of you and your child that it's not on Christmas Day. That's I pray for that, too. And I think I'm thinking more about like the nursing staff. I'm like, who is actually going to be working on Christmas Day? Is it going to be like this B team? <laughs> I don't know. I want to make sure that like my doctor is there and like the people who I've gotten to know. But 
We'll see what happens. I always ask people, you know, whose birthday is around then, like, how do they feel? So mm-hmm. you've given me the most honest response yep. in this whole pseudo birthday party thing is yeah. definitely something to think about. But hopefully he either comes after Christmas or a few weeks before. That's sure. my goal. Either way, it's going to be all good. So your pregnancy, before we started recording, you said that you had a really easy pregnancy. But, you know, you're carrying a lot right there. So, I mean, there's just general discomfort. But clearly, you're doing pretty well with it. Yeah, so I worked um, up until probably like maybe like two or three weeks ago. I was like, okay, yeah, this is not going to work anymore. But um, the whole beginning of my pregnancy, I was working on a production I had a great time. The craft services was great. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I didn't have any issues there. Then I, I worked on a pilot for a week. Um, I did notice like my ankle started swelling a few days into the pilot. And I was like, okay, this might be the last job I take. Mm. Um, and so I haven't taken any more freelance work, but then I was still kind of making content and working with clients here and there. And then I just decided a few weeks ago that I'm actually like done, done. So right. now the extent of my work is more, you know, editing, making content, having meetings, things like that. Anything I could do sitting down, sure. which is good because when we are at our busiest, we're standing up, we're using our hands, we're driving, moving around. So I'm actually excited about cleaning up and organizing everything with the business because I can't do those things. I get it. I get it. Kind of a break, forcing you into doing those other things, forcing you into doing things like podcasting where you can sit down and just stare at me in the screen. Yes. (laughs) All right. You are an Emmy award winning hairstylist in LA. You're a founder of Conscious Curls Hair Products. You wrote a book. I I didn't know this, but I learned it when I was kind of doing my podcaster interviewer research that you wrote a book for kids about curly hair, which is just so cool. And uh, we'll talk about that. And last but not least, of course, you're pregnant. So yes. that that is who Angela Stevens is for the listeners, if they don't already know. Why don't we start with where you're from originally and how did you get into hair in the first place? So thank you for all the research. I feel so special. <laughs> <laughs> I am originally from Chicago. Uh, we are out here deep in LA because we do not like that cold, Mm -mm. but I moved to LA when I was about 23 and I started my career in Chicago. I built a beautiful clientele there. I was planning on staying and growing. I became a platform artist. Hold on. Before, before 23, you built the clientele and all that already. I did. I, um, so I went to pivot point, um, cosmetology school when I was 19 that's big time. Um, yeah. And pivot point was actually such a great foundation for me that, you know, I just jumped right into hairstyling. So I would say 19, 20, 21, I was, um, assisting a little bit here and there. I was kind of trying to figure out where I wanted to establish myself. And I actually prematurely went into a booth rental situation much earlier than I should have, Mm -hmm. but the benefit that I did get was, you know, just just throwing myself out there. And I worked around some really talented hairstylists. So I was able to absorb a lot of their skill set very early on. And so by the time I was like 22, I had a full clientele in Chicago. Wow. wow. And I was making six figures. 
I was, you know, just enjoying my little <laughs> early 20 something life. And, you know, my friends were still in college or getting their entry level jobs. And I was like, <laughs> I was like low key balling out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a great foundation, but and then I, I started doing platform artistry with my mentor. She pulled me in um, with a product company. And so we started kind of touring during the trade show thing. And I really enjoyed having the balance of clients. And then every once in a while going and doing these fun like hair shows like Bronner Brothers and stuff like that. Um, but I was looking for something more because I never went away to college. So when I decided to move to L.A., it was kind of like, well, I need to get to know a new city and I need to, you know, try something different. And mm -hmm. so I came out here on a whim and that's when my like celebrity hairstyling experience began. OK, so hold on a minute. All right. So I totally get the I got to get out, uh, see a different city, all that. But that's a lot easier said than done, especially when you have a really great foundation of a business like you had in Chicago. So risky, right? To leave? Yeah, definitely risky. A lot of my clients were like, girl, what are you doing? You know, because I had... Um, I had like remodeled my grandmother's home and made it my new home. And I was about to go back to school and double major in communications and journalism. Why? Um, I just, I just value education. And because I had only went to college for during my cosmetology program, I went to college for maybe like two and a half, three years. Okay. And so I kind of just wanted to finish and, Ironically, years later, I ended up becoming an author and I ended up being a TV personality and all these other things that, right. <laughs> you know, it's funny that journalism and communications were what I was trying to go to school for because mm -hmm. it still ends up happening another way. But, yeah, I was just very, you know, comfortable in Chicago, you know, for, for me to have a home, a, a full clientele, you know, a great life. There was no reason that I needed to move. But. I went on this trip and it just inspired me. Uh, one of my friends, he's a really big actor. His name's Lamorne. And he um, he was kind of in his beginning stages with things when we came out here. And he just had a beautiful testimony of like, you know, I was doing this and now I'm doing this. And now I got commercials over here and this over here. And, yeah. and I was meeting other people who were young like me and they were writing on movies and they were making music and they were just doing things that I wasn't accustomed to hearing about in Chicago. And mm. so it really piqued my interest to say, you know what, what I have is, is great, but I could potentially have so much more if I take this leap. So I just did it. I'd made a decision and three months later I was living in LA. Three months later you're living in LA. And so yeah. you had a buddy, you had a friend and did you move in with your friend? Like how, how easy was the transition? It was super easy for me because I'm a Virgo type A planner. So I saved, you know, I saved about like $10,000. I was like, this will be a good cushion for me. I shipped my car and he was already on the hunt for a bigger place. So it was really me, him and one of my other friends from Chicago who was down to like do this whole like trip with me nice and he so he went to go look for apartments and he found us a really nice townhouse and so i actually started paying rent a month before i got there 
Okay. Just to let him know I was serious and just to let him know, you know, that, you know, I was coming. So, but when we moved, my apartment was beautiful. I had the master bedroom. He had the loft space. And I got a job a week into me moving here because I was coming periodically and I was interviewing with people and I had a whole like deck I created for myself and gave, I distributed that to different salons. And so they were already kind of in preparation for my arrival in a way. You were setting setting the foundation, you were making connections. And so by the time you got here, you, you you had a job or you were about to have a job? By the time I got here, I did not have a job, but I was about to have a job. So I went and did some hands-on demos at a few salons, and then I chose where I wanted to work. Okay. And so I ultimately landed at Kim Kimball Hair Studio. Mm -hmm. Um, Kim Kimball, as you know, is a huge name, a huge industry giant. Um, She's worked with everybody from like Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, Shakira, just the, the list goes on and on. And for her to be like a black woman, an entrepreneur, I just felt like, and she was from Chicago too. So it was just so many things that made me feel compelled to want to work there. And so that's, I got my job probably like nine or 10 days into me living in LA. Wow. I mean, that's the way to do it. You you did it right. <laughs> it sounds like, I mean, the type A really, really uh, clicked in and, and got you yeah, set up. I was like, I don't have time to waste. And I knew how much I was walking away from at home. So I was like, let me make my next move, my best move and just be aggressive. And, you know, it it paid off. It really did. Okay. And so, so, so far in the story, everything is roses. So did it continue roses or, or I'm sure you had some stumbles? Of course not. Of course, it's never always going to be roses. But what I will say is that I have more um great shining moments then i had challenging ones i think the challenges more so came from my loneliness like a lack of having like a tribe and a network that really felt like organic to me you know la's culture and chicago's culture is completely different working around a lot of celebrities and like learning how to you know carry myself on set it's nerve-wracking in and of itself driving around la not really knowing where to go (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's stressful um you know trying to be on time and trying you know just trying to prove myself um as a 20 something year old person, you already are insecure and confused. And so just adding that extra layer of all this newness and all this like trying and learning, it was a process, you know? So that first year I would definitely say was rough, but in the midst of that, I got a chance to work with people like Beyonce, or I got a chance to work with people like Mary Mary or, you know, so it was like, okay, a bad week, but a hell of a great day. You know what I mean? So So I, you're, you're learning to navigate, and that's also the fun, right? I mean, you the, you didn't need to put much effort into navigating Chicago because you were just so comfortable there. It, it's part of the excitement. The difficulty is the excitement, right? But yeah. tell me how you managed so quickly to go, you know, onto the set of movie or TV productions because th- that's the stuff of dreams, you know, from hairstylists all over the place is to show up in LA and start working with Beyonce. So, I mean, was it just your connection to Kim? Yeah, it was primarily, you know, 
I always tell stylists, if you want to work in the industry, you're you sh- like, and you say you want to move to California, like don't move to Palmdale. Like that's not going to get you there. <laughs> you know, I literally set my sights on West Hollywood, Beverly Hills salons because I wanted to go where a celebrity, anybody, you know, is just going to walk in there at any moment of any day. Like it's, it's not foreign to see, you know, Kiki Palmer at 7 a.m. Like it's not foreign to see those people. They're regulars in that space. So you want to put yourself in an environment where what you're looking for is going to be there. Yeah. Um. So I think that was the biggest thing. Like I, I, I applied to work with Elgin Charles. Mm-hmm. I applied. Um, I met Kim Vo. He's he became one of my mentors in that process. He was like, you could come here. Um. I I connected with um the it was a salon called Heroin Salon and um and I know the owner of that was on a popular TV show. So I was looking at the places that you know were in the mix. <laughs> so I think that's the main thing is if you want to be in the mix, go in the mix. But then too, I was a seasoned hairstylist. I was already a platform artist. I had great mentorship in Chicago. So I wasn't coming to the table super green. Right. You had the skills. Right. So I, I came from having a full clientele and understanding like timing and healthy hair care practices. And, you know, of course, Kim's level of styling was like light years from mine. But I I could watch something once and understand like, OK, that's how you do that. So when it came to accepting these opportunities i was I, I had already prepared myself for that based on how hard i was working already mm-hmm. but i think a lot of people too they just expect that they're going to be in it but it's like like sis if you don't know how to braid what makes you think you're going to be doing a braid down like yeah. if you don't know how to do certain things like you're not going to be put in those situations or if you are too eager and I, I was never uh, like a super fan, fanny fan type of person, mm-hmm. which means I wasn't running up to people like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Can I take a picture? Like, I'm I'm just going to be like, hey, how you doing? Right. So based on how I would carry myself in situations, it would allow people to feel comfortable to have me around. Sure. You know, so even even then there was social media was a thing, but. My generation, I'm kind of like in that middle child where we don't ask. We didn't ask for selfies. Right. You know, the whole idea of working with somebody and then asking for a selfie. It's still hard for me to this day to ask my clients to take pictures. Yep. I'm like that, too. I'm just I'm so bad at all of that. I came from a school of like, just respect this moment and build rapport. Mm -hmm. And once you are in, then, you know, then you could do that later. But yeah. So yeah, I was just a fly on the wall. And when I was called to do my part, I would do my part and then I would dip. So it made it kind of easy to get jobs, you know, or for her to develop that trust to have me go places because I wasn't, you know, all over the place. Right. Okay. So a lot of hairstylists listening to this are like, okay, I'm totally going to do this. I'm going to LA in two (laughs) months. I'm going to drop my 250 clients and my six figure income and I'm going to LA because I want to do that. What What is the lifestyle like? Like what, what is the money like? What is a lifestyle like? Is it for everybody or I imagine it's unusual. It's not for everybody. 
Um, you honestly have to have really tough skin and you also have to be willing to just stay the course. Um, the amount I was making in Chicago, I did not make anywhere near that my first or second year in LA. And so sometimes I would fly home and I would work with my customers so that I could supplement my income because I wasn't necessarily making that as an, I was an assistant. And then I was also, um, a hairstylist building a clientele, but I was on commission. So I was going from taking a hundred percent of my income home in Chicago. And while the services may have been cheaper, it was a hundred percent. Whereas in LA, the services were more, but I'm only taking home 40 or 50%. I can't remember what my mm-hmm. commission was plus taxes being taken out of that. Mm-hmm. And then when I was assisting, I was either doing trades, you know, just for the experience, or it would be like a 250 assistant rate, a $300, maybe $500 per day, per day assistant rate. And you're there for like 12 hours, you yeah. know, or prep days. Sometimes I wasn't paid for prep days, but I was, I was doing so much cool stuff. It took me a while to even think about like, let me charge for this. Let me charge for that. This, this generation now they want all their money. (laughs) It does not matter who you working with or when like, and I respect it, but then it's also like you miss, you miss a lot of opportunity by, by asking for income when you don't have a skill set. And so even though I did have the skill set, I didn't have the experience and I was okay with, with getting whatever it was they were willing to give me and just get the experience. And it was, it was tough. It was hard. It was tough. I remember being exhausted a lot. I remember questioning like, dang, should I do this? Like, should I stay in it? But I'm, I'm so glad that I did. Are you reminding me of one time? So in college and right after college in my 20s, you know, I did a few of these things. Somebody would invite me to be an extra on some movie or whatever, some set for a TV show. And I'll never forget I went once and I was there. I was I think I was there for 16 hours. I was there for it was if it wasn't 16, it was 15 hours. It was so long. I don't think I'd ever been in one place this long outside of the house. And I remember like becoming delusional, like losing my mind because I had been on this set for so long. And like you said, you know, you have to learn how to carry yourself around a set. Like you can't, you know, grab your, this was before cell phones, but you couldn't grab your cell phone and like have a conversation. You have to be quiet and you have to know where to be and when to be quiet, when not to be quiet, whatever, how to eat and where to go to the bathroom. And it was hell. And I remember leaving and I said, no, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. It's, it's not for, it's, it's not for everybody. Yeah. It's really not. And I've, I've tried to bring up, up people and show them the way. And some people, they're like, I don't think this is the life for me. Sure. It's better that you know than to jump in and, you know, hit your head a bunch of times and then go back crying. But, you know, if you do think that you can handle it, it's it's definitely a risk that's worth taking. Okay, so you won an Emmy. You wanted to tell us about the Emmy. So, um, What's funny about when I won my Emmy is the year before that, I was completely over doing hair. Total. 
Totally. And in in salon or on set? I was just over all of it. And I was actually consulting for um, a yoga studio and they wanted to build a salon in there. So I was doing consulting. I still had my suite, but I was kind of coming out of wanting to work with clients. And the person I was consulting for was Russell Simmons on this beautiful brand called Tantris in West Hollywood. I was making, you know, like great money, but it was my second job consulting. So I was really interested in exploring how I could use my hair background, but be more on the business side of things. And in the midst of us building this amazing brand, the, you know, accusations about him, you know, and sexual allegations with me too, and all that came out. And so basically I just watched the business crumble (laughs) right in front of my eyes. And the same week that this was happening, Eve, which was one of my longtime clients, but she lives overseas. So whenever she hits me up, she, you know, it's just like a one-off here or there. She's in town. So she hit me like, Hey, can you come? Um, can you, can you do my hair on set tomorrow? Are you available? And I was like, sure. So I come, you know, I get connected with the producers, whatever. And I'm thinking she's just doing like a guest spot at the talk. And once I get there, they're like, Hey, so, okay. So this role is Monday through Thursday, this time to this time. And the same day, they're covering Russell Simmons and the allegations. Like I'm watching it on television. <laughs> like they're covering it as one of the topics. And I'm meanwhile, I'm like, like, dang, like, and <laughs> <laughs> which was crazy, but I had already decided that I was going to take a step back. Cause I was actually working on my book. So it was a lot happening in that moment, but okay. it was like, I was writing a book. I was consulting. I wasn't really thinking about hair like that. Mm-hmm. So, of course I accepted the job as Eve. I'm like, what? You're going to be living here now? Like, this is amazing. Like she's like a big sister to me anyway. So took the job. And I remember saying in the dressing room, if we're going to be here every day, we need to get an Emmy. (laughs) And I was just saying it like, you know, just like for fun. I don't know. And the following season is when you find out about the season before and one of the producers just comes in and he's like, I just wanted to be the first to tell you guys, congratulations. And I'm like, for what? And they're like, you guys are nominated for an Emmy. And I was like, what? <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So I think, honestly, by the time I got nominated for an Emmy, I had already been in L.A. for about nine years. And I had been a licensed hairstylist for about 12 I do think that the styles that I put on Eve that season were all amazing. But I also think that me winning was God's way of telling me that I need to stay the course and I need to reinvest my love into the hair business because I was trying to pull away. And so it was a great reminder that like you deserve to be here. You've done the work. Look, this is the reward that you're getting from this. And it's something that I can always put in front of my name, no matter what. So it's like, who wants to be an Emmy Award winning hairstylist who doesn't do hair at all anymore? (laughs) I don't want to be that. So Mm -hmm. I think it really like, it really re-inspired me in a lot of ways. So I'm super thankful for that. 
Super cool. Okay, so you mentioned your book. Tell us about the book. So the book, um, I came up with the idea hanging out with a friend one day, and he was like, you should write a children's book. And I was like, what, really? And then the more I thought about it, I was like, that would actually be a really good idea. And this was at a time when I wrote my book four years ago. So this was at a time when there was not as much information around hair care and and kids and curly hair and things like that. Now there's a ton of literature that really promotes, you know, multicultural hair textures and identity and just everything, you know, but I think at that time that was like at the very, like the beginning of when that, you know, burst happened. Um, But I created the book and I wanted it to be basically like a love story to my younger self and also to a lot of kids now who don't necessarily see themselves in the spaces that they're in, whether they're in school or, you know, um, even at home, you know, sometimes kids are adopted, they're mixed, you know, they don't look like their parents. And so I wanted to create something that kids can relate to where they're like, wow, like, even though I don't see other people who have hair like mine, I can appreciate my hair because it comes alive and it does all these amazing things that I didn't know it could do. Mm. And so basically the book, we use metaphors of the hair being a person in a way to help children and families discuss, you know, textured hair in a more positive um, tone. So, you know, I use things like the same way we take naps, the hair when, the hair takes naps when it's wet, mm-hmm. it re-energizes itself. Or the same way we drink water, the hair drinks natural oils. Mm. Or the same way we might be kind of moody, your hair is moody, and so you have good days and bad days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the end of the book, the little girl who was initially like, I want to hide my hair. I want to cover it up because it's not like yours or anybody else's in school. By the end of the book, she's like, wow, I want my hair to sing. I want my hair to have a good time. And the general message is like, the more you get to know your hair, the same way, the more you get to know people, you understand how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And it makes your hair is happier, you know, once you take the time to get to know it. Right. That's beautiful. And, and, and so it's called hair. Is that right? Yeah, it's just called hair. Mm-hmm. And my illustrator, he, he suggested doing that because um, when we think of hair, a lot of times we think of straight hair. And so he wanted to just call it hair and put this big girl with bushy hair on the front to kind of reimagine what we initially think of when we think of hair. Mm-hmm. I love it. And so where do you, where can we, I know it's got a um, Instagram. What is the Instagram and where can you find it? So I self-published the book. So the Instagram is under my publishing company, which is Pretty Curls Club. Um, And then the book is available online. Almost everywhere books are sold, mainly Amazon. You know, Mm -hmm. we get everything from Amazon, but Mm -hmm. it's on Target.com, Walmart.com and BarnesandNoble.com also. That's amazing. And you can buy it directly from our site. So if you go to my site, either Angela C. Styles or Conscious Curls Hair, um, it's connected there as well. That's great. Okay, so um, your career at this point. So you've kind of led us up to what you where where you were. Where are you now? And and maybe we ignore the pregnancy phase, but. Uh, <laughs> 
I understand you have a studio where you do clients and you're still on set. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I work in a, in a few ways. Um, I still consult. So I work with Cantu right now um, and I consult and help develop products with them. Um, I also have a flagship store slash studio um, where I have artists who work um, under me. Um, we also retail hair worldwide. So with Conscious Curls, you can come in, take a look at the hair. You can book an appointment with our stylist. And we also have makeup artists, um, lash technicians, and facialists in the space. So we're a full-service salon in West Hollywood. Um, and then, I, yes, I also do take freelance jobs and work on television and film. So the last project I worked on was with Simone Missick on um, All Rise, which is now on OWN. It used to be on CBS. Um, so I did her hair uh, for this last season, which was season three. And then I will take other projects as they come. Um, I'm not exclusively a, a TV and film stylist just because that schedule can be really extreme and demanding. So I kind of pop in and out. Um, of union jobs and then I also will work in salon and studio here and there too and the way that you manage the this is a question although I'm starting it like a comment but um, how do you manage all of the uh, non-salon work I assume you have an agent at this point you've got an agent right yes okay. I do have an agent um, and she if people ask me about freelance jobs, I'll refer them to my agent or she'll bring me projects. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's usually how those are managed. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Because, you know, with invoicing and the details and, you know, rates and all that, I just don't want to be involved oh, yeah. in it. So I just want to, if I'm going to take it, I'll show up. If not, we can correspond about it. But it just makes it a lot easier. I'm always amazed at how set stylists manage their lives. Because it's it's just it's such a mess. I mean, all of it. So many little details that have to be, you know, buttoned up and then followed up with, and then this and that, and the mechanics of being somewhere at a certain time and knowing what to do. You, you got to have help, and it seems like most people at your level do have help. But then add on to it, you're in a salon, and then add on to it, you've got a product. Okay, so let's move in that direction. So conscious curls. You guys sell hair. Tell us about it. So um, I created Conscious Curls about five or six years ago. And, and I'm an extension specialist. So it just made sense for me to actually sell the product that I do the most. Because before I was just either purchase hair for my customers from somewhere else um, or they would bring it. And if they would bring it, sometimes I would get you know different results with it, especially with coloring, you know, things like that or so it just made it easier for me to source my own hair. And I use the term easier very lightly because <laughs> sourcing hair and finding consistent products um, from vendors is a challenge in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Um, but once I established a good relationship with vendors and having textures, um, we now have everything from ponytails to clip-ins to actual just wefted hair to wigs to U-part wigs to headband wigs. So we try to offer things that customers can do on their own. 
um, especially during the pandemic, I shifted my focus a lot to really encouraging women to take the wheel of like how to work with their own hair um, and suggesting things that are going to be healthy for the hair, but also very solution based. So like, what can you do in 20 minutes? You could put a, a ponytail on, you could put on a headband wig, you could put in some clippings and make it easy. Right. Um, but also focusing on texture because if you're putting in some super silky hair, when your hair is like type four, you're going to be straightening your hair to death and that's going to make it break off. So how about we get you in some hair that looks exactly like what your hair does. Even if you get caught in the rain, it's all going to blend together. So mm-hmm. conscious curls is really our conscious effort at lifestyle and texture, um, and making sure that you get things that are made for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we retail all those options. We also offer custom color on all those options. So um, we've broken it down in a few categories um, with color so that when you click through, you can kind of customize what you want and make it look, you know, as, as beautiful as possible. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. So, it, it, I mean, anyone who spends any time on you know, Instagram or, or LinkedIn, for God God forbid, if you spend time on LinkedIn, I, I, I probably get 50 uh, messages per day from people trying to sell hair. Yes. You on LinkedIn? I'm not, I am on LinkedIn, but I have never promoted hair on LinkedIn. Should I start? I don't know. I don't think so. Probably not. I mean, it's just the, the number of people trying to sell hair is seems limitless so to be the one to figure out the best source of the hair seems like a specialty and i it sounds like you've gotten good at it yeah i've i've had help from um vendors one of my partners she shared a lot of vendors with me when we were working together and a lot of it is trial and error you don't have to test hair before you can sell it and guarantee what it can do Um, And I'm big on premium quality hair, so it's not going to be just like, you know, it's not on the cheaper side. You're investing in it, but it's I know that it's going to last. And when it comes to coloring, which we're big on, you want something that you're not going to get those super harsh red undertones in and Mm -hmm. you're not going to get those, you know, crazy like blotches of dark colors and things like that when you when hair is on the cheaper side you see all of that mm-hmm. um and so yeah i'm i'm really happy with our product i love our product i love where we're going um it's definitely a lot of learning involved being a stylist like behind the chair you, you don't really you never really get business like a understanding about business and being an entrepreneur doesn't give you the creativity to be a hairstylist. And so mm-hmm. most of my career has just kind of been learning and adding things on as we go. But it's all it's all challenging, but it's all fun, I will say. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. What is something that you did in your career that you wish you hadn't done? Something that I did in my career that I wish that I had not done. Um Let's see. Honestly, I don't really know if there's anything that I wish I hadn't done because even the things that I failed at, I learned from. So I I wish in my career, the one thing I wish I hadn't done was I wish that I didn't blow through money as easily as I did. (laughs) When you were young? (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have made... When you're a low-key ballin', I think you said? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have made a lot of money in this career, but I I have not... You know, I didn't invest it the way that I probably should have. So that's mm-hmm. one thing I share with my staff a lot, is like learning where to put your money, because I spent all of my money on food and brunch and trips. <laughs> You know, just being like a good friend, you know, so I'm always going to buy the gifts and I'm always like, let's get another round or let's, you know, I was that person, yeah. but I no, probably not so much been, anymore. No, not with my husband. He is like oh, finance guy. Good. One, so I don't even have a chance, but I also don't have the enthusiasm for that anymore. Like I really am. am I really love saving. Like I really love the a concept of like having all these different buckets of savings and just money. Just you know, that's more important to me now than you know going and kicking it everywhere. And I sure. love my brunches. Don't get me wrong, but but you're not picking up the check anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was going to ask you to brunch, but now since you're not picking up the check, <laughs> come on, really. <laughs> You like your mimosas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like my mimosas. I like my appetizers. I like I, I like a bunch of different dishes. You know, it's not just like I order one thing, you order one thing. Like, let's order six things and try it all. I'm a foodie. So, yeah. you know, those things, those things aren't far from me, but they add up. Yes, they do. What's the most difficult conversation you've ever had with a client in the chair? So I think the most difficult conversation I have ever had with a client was around what couldn't be done with her hair anymore. And if you have dealt with any clients who were at the tender age of like in their fifties, early sixties, and they've experienced like a lot of hair loss, or they maybe were on medication for hair loss. Um, it's sad when they no longer have the ability to just enjoy wearing their own hair. Mm. And so let me, is that a menopause thing? Again, a dumb question from a guy is, is that a a symptom of menopause with some ladies hair loss? It can be. It's not, everybody doesn't lose their hair during menopause. It's mostly genetic. Some people are losing their hair much younger. Some people don't lose their hair at all. Um, A lot of women lose their hair with postpartum hair loss, but that usually grows back. But usually when when you're older and I've had this conversation with my mentor is you just tend to you you're already losing hair as you age. But around like the late 50s, early 60s, if you have genetic um, forms of hair loss that run in your family, that's when it hits the hardest. And unfortunately, if you weren't already kind of like taking this, you know, you know, if you weren't already ahead of it by that time, it can get to a place where you're forced into wigs or you're forced into a short haircut to camouflage it or you're forced into things that you may not be prepared for. And Mm -hmm. so that is a difficult conversation if a person if a customer is like in denial um, and so, yeah, this conversation, she was, I wouldn't say she was in denial, but I think she was more hopeful that I would be able to make 
fetch happened with what we had. And I tried just being respectful, but it didn't really work out. And so then she kind of started crying and I was like, well, we can do this, we can do that. And so we ended up giving her like an updo and, you know, some clippings because most of her hair loss was in the center of her head. So she couldn't wear her hair down anymore. Um, And so that was challenging. I had another difficult experience with my aunt um, when she first was undergoing chemo and she didn't want to cut her hair off before it started to fall out. So by the time she came to me, she noticed that the hair was starting to come out. She said, I'll just stop touching it. So when I took her to the shampoo bowl, it slid off her head. Wow. Like all of it. And so that also was really hard for her and for me. I wasn't prepared. Um, we It wasn't really words that were happening. I just tried to do my best with like making her wig and like making her feel beautiful. But I think we both were like numb, you know, after experiencing like the hair just yeah. sliding off her head. So th- those two things I think were the hardest. And, you know, I really try to be as understanding as possible when it comes to that, because your hair, you know, is everything, mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's that's what this whole, you know, podcast is about is the hair game. So mm-hmm. like not having hair man it's really it's really something it's your identity it's the the identity for many people and i know that that's my wife having recovered from breast cancer recently i know that that was a big concern for her was uh, of course the cancer is a big concern the biggest but losing your hair is a a visual representation really of that concern and they're different right there's it's different to know that you've got this thing you're going to attack it but you still look the same versus you've got this thing you're going to attack it and you look like you have that thing yeah so i know it's it's very important doing what you do with you know um making products that make people feel beautiful and natural and um, I'm sure that's very satisfying to you as well. It is. That's the most satisfying thing about what I do is kind of connecting the dots for people. And I think that's why I gravitate more towards education with what I do is because I love when people have that like aha moment or when they have that like, really, I can do. Oh, wow. You know, and, and it just makes it makes me feel good about offering that option because mm-hmm. A lot of people feel powerless when it comes to styling themselves or creating a different look or making themselves feel better. And so just giving them the tools to be able to do that is what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. If you could wave a wand and change anything about the industry at all, what would it be? Oof. I need a couple of wands. <laughs> you only get one wand. I only get one? All right, fine. That's I'll give you, because you're pregnant, especially this far along, I'll give you two wands. Okay. So the first thing I would change about the industry is the level of like the competitiveness, the cattiness, the the messiness. Um it's really sad because we should stick together more, but I just wish that it wasn't so like 
it's me, me, me. I'm the one. Like it, it doesn't have to be one. Like, and it clearly isn't one because we have a huge industry and growing. But I think people just are so afraid to like share. But that's why I love your podcast. It had me in the chokehold for so long when it first came out. I was listening all the time because it was I was getting so much information that I didn't know about, and I was just like, this is so necessary. <laughs> um, so I would definitely change that. The second thing, the second magic wand I would change is the way cosmetology school is structured. Mm. Um, I think that it gives a lot of students a false idea of where they're at when they get out of cosmetology school. And they're just so they're just like not equipped (laughs) to work. And so because of that, it gives a false um, idea of like what, like how much they should be earning or what they should be involved in. And it's like, you got, you don't know anything. <laughs> like you didn't learn anything in this program. Well, so, and it's getting worse. I mean, yes. it, you, you know, that the state of California at least has reduced the number of hours for cosmetology licenses down to a thousand. Now there's other states that are a thousand and even less, but it was 1600. Now it's a thousand. There was a practical exam. I don't know if you had to take it because you came from Chicago. Maybe you had to take it, but uh, the practical exam is now gone. And so it's just the health and safety uh, part. Yeah. Yeah, It's the cosmic. And I used to be excited about working with, cosmetology students like fresh out the gate but i've realized that they expect to be generating a certain level of income but they don't have a certain level of skills yeah and it's weird to me because then i'm like well you know you don't know x y and z they don't care that they don't even know they just expect to start making money because they feel like they have excelled in this program and i use i'm using like air quotes when i say program because the structure and the level of learning and the level of experience that they get is so subpar that it is just unacceptable. So I wish that, and even especially on the perspective of texture, there's nowhere near enough information on how to work with multi-textured hair. So most of the mannequins have bone straight hair they probably do two weeks of education on relaxers and cornrows and all the things that they think black hair needs rolled up in a two week period. And then the rest of it is then makeup, aesthetics, nails, all these things just rolled up in a thousand hours. And it's just, whoo, child is unacceptable. Yeah. No, I hear you. That's a good one. And that, that is a popular one for that. That's a popular answer for that question. Definitely. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now that, um, things are sliding into, um, a smaller number of hours, smaller number of things that need to be tested, et cetera. Do you have any hair horror stories? I mean, you've got to have between being on set and doing what you do with the, the kind of transformations that you do and all that kind of stuff, you got to have hair horror stories. What's funny is I'm low-key really good at having a situation and it not, not, it not being a situation anymore. Because so, you take care of it so, so, um, so smoothly. 
yeah, like I don't um, stress out under pressure. If I don't have something, I figure out something else to use. If the color isn't right, like, and I, I feel like I have had color problems, but somehow I always end up making them work out. So it's not a lot of moments where I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> you know. um, I remember I was working with Eve one day and we were working on set and then we had to do it was some kind of Motown appearance or something and I left my whole bag, my whole hairstyling kit at the um, at CBS. So when I pulled up to her house I had I had to like piecemeal together a hair kit because there was no time for me to go back across town and go get my kids so that now that was horrible but she didn't notice (laughs) nobody noticed you're you're (laughs) just grace under pressure aren't you i had i had you know when you're a hairstylist you randomly have stuff in stuff so i I had like some hairpins at the bottom of my purse a comb (laughs) i had i did have a bag in the trunk that has some hairstyling things in it but it was really only like you know it might have just ha- just like a few things. So when I got there, I had to kind of decide on what to do with the wig that she had based on what I had. And I kind of told them, like, I was using water to help control her hair because I didn't have the product. But when I finished, she and I, I like kind of said it, but I didn't want to make a big deal out of it because that moment, like, you know, but I said it again, like, so y'all, I, I left my whole kit at <laughs> talk (laughs) and she was like what i don't understand because she looked at her hair and it was a completely different style and it looked polished and everything and so i was like yeah i just used what i had in the car and she was like what she was like i can't tell and i was just like good (laughs) because that's called being a professional (laughs) but so things like that do happen um that is one of my like that's probably one of my best qualities is I don't crack under pressure I don't make other people aware of my suffering you know or and I just try to problem solve and tweak you know and I remain really really calm and then usually someone has a solution to help and I'm like oh okay cool that'll work and then I just figure it out so that's my best advice with horror stories and stuff, I know some things are inevitable, but I haven't had anything that's just been like, oh, well, you know, yeah. thank God. <laughs> I wonder if that's something that's learned. Have you always been grace under pressure or is that, I mean, is it learned or natural? Because my daughter, and the reason I asked that question, I have an 11 year old girl, daughter, and she loves for everything to be so dramatic, right? And so she'll find things to go wrong and then she'll get all excited about it going wrong versus what I try to encourage her to do, which is, you know, maybe when something's going wrong, you know, you take a deep breath, you slow down your thinking and you try to be rational about the best solution. But I don't know. I mean, I could see her being in her mid fifties and still being, you know, a mess when when something goes wrong. Yeah, it's a per. I think it's it's a personality thing. Yeah, I think some people like to go through the drama of it all, and then other people like to like minimize it. So, 
I'm definitely a drama minimizer. Um, but I don't know if I learned that or if that's just a part of who I am. It, that might be my Virgo thing too. It's just like fixing it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're big on like fixing things, even when they don't need to be fixed, we're trying to fix it more. So yeah, I think it might be a personality thing. <laughs> I bet there's some listeners listening right now who might have some like semi-professional advice on that. DM us. <laughs> Uh, listeners yeah you know more than than we do here okay any last words for the community um last words i'm just happy to be here and i definitely want to encourage the community to have a healthy work-life balance i'm just learning what that looks like um but i know a lot of my hair workaholics we just jump jump into work 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 and then we don't really think about personal finance family you know self-care health care all those things but um i think they're all equally important to our careers so just you know spread the love yeah great advice it was great to see you angela and look we'll be thinking about you as you get close to that late december date Yes, thank you, Eric. I'll be thinking about you and your birthday. (laughs) I hope not. I hope you're not thinking about me on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Sending you birthday love, even though everybody else is thinking about Christmas. I'll be sending you love. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Angela. Great to see you. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye, guys. You too. Bye bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the episode. Our podcast thrives on the feedback from you guys, the listeners. If you have a moment, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or iTunes. Here's what you do. You scroll down to ratings and reviews. Click on the empty purple stars, click on write a review and let us know what you love most about the podcast. Each rating and review helps us reach more and more of your fellow hair loves. And our goal is to help as many hairdressers within this industry to find success as possible. So thank you so much in advance. Next week's episode will be a roundtable discussion at Salon Republic Burbank in front of a beauty school, a bunch of beauty school's students from Burbank. It was so much fun. I got three successful hairdressers onto a panel and I took all the questions from the beauty school students and we wrapped out for at least an hour. So much great information. That is next week. I will see you there and then. Until then, have a great week.